Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hello! It's December 19th, which means if you love December, enjoy it. There's only a few days left. And if you don't like December, congratulations. There's only a few days left. Hey, guys, Kristen here in your intro for Buffering the Vampire Slayer. I have a really big announcement at the end of this news cycle here before we get into the episode. So hold your breath. Just kidding. Don't hold your breath because I got a lot to say and no one will survive. Okay. Let me start by saying happy holidays to everyone. We are rolling into our holiday schedule over here. So this is our last episode of the year. We will see you in 2019 on January 9th when we come back with our taping of this year's girl that we did live in London. So like that's something to look forward to in 2019. There's at least one thing. Get excited. Angel on Top is also coming back the week after us to continue the never-ending sandwich of vampire slash slayer deliciousness. Uh, Angel on Top has an episode out today, so you get two episodes today because it's the holidays and we feel festive. Speaking of January, we hope you have your tickets for PodCon, Seattle, and also if you want your remote tickets from anywhere in the world, uh, you can grab those as well at PodCon.com. We will see you in Seattle, January 19th and 20th. Okay, let's get into this news. I have so many things. First of all, transcriptions. We are getting really close to transcribing season three, and we need a lot of help with transcribing season four to make our podcast accessible. So please help us transcribe going over to bufferingthevampireslayer.com slash transcribe. When you want to stop talking to your Uncle Dave, you know, I don't know what's wrong with Uncle Dave, but like he's probably going to get on your nerves. So you just say, Uncle Dave, I got to go transcribe an episode of Buffering the Vampire Slayer. I'll be right back, man. Um, You can go on over there, find out more details on how you can help us out. You can honestly transcribe even a quarter of an episode over there and then leave it to somebody else to finish if that's all the time you have. Another thing I want to talk to you about is our interview with Lindsay Krauss, who plays Professor Maggie Walsh. We did, I did, get the opportunity to sit down with Lindsay, and I had such an awesome chat with her. And originally, I was going to put it in this episode, but Lindsay and I talked about a couple of things that are a little spoilery, so I'm going to hold tight. You're going to have to wait a few episodes to hear that interview. But patrons, if you're a patron of ours, um, you will get that interview in just a couple of weeks ahead of time. Cool? Cool. Um, I think it's time for... Okay, so spooky news. Listen, 875,000 people wrote to me uh, about this particular news story, which is not even my choice for spooky news, but it seems like it's really important that everyone knows this. A 45-year-old woman who married the ghost of an 18th century pirate has announced that she has split from him after less than a year of marriage. Amanda Teague traveled to international waters back in January 2018 to marry her pirate partner, Jack, through the means of a medium after telling the spirit that she was no longer happy to just have casual sex. We are sorry that it didn't work out for you, uh, Jack and Amanda. 
Onwards and upwards to the story that I've actually chosen for spooky news this holiday week, which is the story of Mary Lewid. Uh, or it's not a story, it's a tradition. Uh, Mary Lewid is a tradition that was first recorded in 1800, and it entails the use of a hobby horse. So like, you know, like a hobby, when you think of a hobby horse, probably you think of like a little kid who has like a little stuffed horse head on a little pole and he's all cute. He's like, look at my hobby horse. Mm-mm, no. Mary Lewid uh, uses a skull of a horse that's mounted on a pole. Um, it has like ribbons and stuff hanging off of it. And then it's little eyeballs. It's got some like glass pieces. And off the back of its head is a sackcloth. So it's kind of like a ghost, um, you know, like a sheet, like a ghost. But in place of a ghost head, it has a skull of a horse. Um, and then they take this around. Uh, this is a, a custom that was found in South Wales uh, and has happened in, in neighboring regions in the world in other forms. But they take the horse skull on a stick with a ghost body and they knock on doors of people and they wassail. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but I learned that wassailing uh, is kind of like caroling where you go door to door and you like sing, except for instead of just singing, you're like, bitch, give me some fucking cider. Like people have cider on the inside of the house. And then if you sing good enough, you get some cider. So this is like that, except instead of you just going to sing, you go with a horse skull on a stick with a ghost body. And you're like, Merry Christmas. Oh, because this happened um, at Christmas time. Uh, when it first started, it was a Christmas time tradition. It still is a Christmas time tradition. It uh, declined in the 20th century. But then in the later 20th century, it came back because like, who can spend too much time away from a horse skull around the holidays? Am I right? Um, I'm poking fun, but I actually think it's really fun to learn about the traditions that human beings think up and like, where did this come from? I want to know more. I want to learn more. So anyway, I'm not going to spend too much time on this. I just want to let you know that like Christmas time is full of various traditions, some of which you knew, and perhaps you did not know that one of them was horse skulls on sticks with ghost bodies going to doorways singing for cider. Uh, there you have your spooky news. Okay, coming out of spooky news, I'm going to start doing something in the top here, and that is telling you the Sexual Tension Award winners for the episode prior. So in the episode itself, you'll get our nominees for this episode, but for now, I'm going to give you the winners for the I and team. Coming in at the low, low 7%, we have Forrest and Riley. Now, the other three remaining pairings were pretty close. 23% of the vote went to Spike and Giles. Mmm, Spiles. Mmm, Jike. <laughs> Rough coupling name there. Um, Willow and Spanking almost won. They had 31% of the vote. I am sorry, but it is good that we don't have to mail a trophy to Spanking because I don't know how that would work. Anyhow, with 39% of the vote, Willow and Tara took it home. We may be seeing more of them in the winner's section of Sexual Tension Awards this season. We'll see. Hey, tis the season, and you know it. We have palm hats now that say Jenny's now infamous catchphrase, wow, 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 wow. We have kid-sized smash the demon patriarchy tees. Our mugs are back in stock that say smash the demon lizard patriarchy. We have sweatshirts and pins and stickers. Oh, my. So many things that you can find at bufferingthevampireslayer.com. Just click on shop. So if you get any loot for the holidays and you want to get some new stuff for your body, come on over and do it with us. 
Uh, thank you to those of you who sold out our handwritten lyric sheets. We raised $500 for Trans Lifeline. We're really excited to be able to give that money to them. Um, and it's really special to also uh, donate money to them over the holidays. It's a very particular time for so many of us, um, and especially people uh, who are in the trans community going home or not going home for the holidays. As always, we send so much love and support to any of you out there who are struggling with coming out to family or have just come out to family or have not yet come out to family and who have to be around those family members at this time of year. Know that you are not alone. So many people are listening to this right now and feeling solidarity with you. Even the person speaking this, me, Kristen, Nolene Russo, is feeling solidarity with you. So sending so much love to all of you. Uh, as always, a huge thank you to Lauren Klein, our dutiful sound engineer. You can follow Lauren if you'd like over at Lauren Taylor Klein on Instagram. She does such good work for us. She helps us sound good in your ears. And hey, we've done it. You listened to all the news except for the biggest piece of news, which is that it is official Scubarinos. That's right. I said freaking Scubarinos. We are throwing another prom this March, March 9th. And this year, our prom is in the Big Apple, the cat's meow. That's not another word for this city, but it's cool. We're throwing our prom in New York City, baby. This is your notice to save the date, New Yorkers, for March 9th. And to let you know that we have expanded capacity from last year's prom, but not by a ton because we want to keep the prom special and intimate and promy. Uh, we want to have it be as special and wonderful as it was last year. Uh, and we're once again at the Ace Hotel, this time in New York City. Did we mention that prom is in New York City? If you want your tickets, they are not for sale yet. This is your warning to know March 9th, New York City. If you're flying here, cool, but wait until you get your tickets. Uh, tickets will be released on January 9th when the next episode is released. So stay tuned over at bufferingthevampireslayer.com slash prom. You can find all of the details, our new design done by Diana Kresge again, who did our last year prom design. And you might be pretty excited about the design this year because it includes some Polaroids uh, taken in quotes because they were drawn uh, of us at prom last year. It's a really, really special design. We are so freaking excited to have prom in New York City this year. Um, so stay tuned over there, also on socials, and know that January 9th is when those tickets will be released. Okay, I think we've done it. Happy holidays to all of you. Uh, happy New Year to all of you. We will see you on the other side of this episode in 2019. Let's freaking do this thing. Welcome to Buffering the Vampire Slayer, a podcast where we are watching and discussing every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer one at a time, spoiler free. I am Jenny Owen Youngs. And I am Kristen Russo. And this week we're talking about Buffy season four, episode 14, Goodbye, Iowa. 
Stay tuned at the end of this podcast every week for an original song written by Jenny Owen Youngs, recapping the Buffy episode we are discussing. And if you haven't yet started listening to our Angel podcast, Angel on Top, hosted by Brittany Ashley and Laura Zach, you should be. And today's a really special day because you have one episode from us and one episode from them all at the same time. Blam. Happy holidays. Goodbye, Iowa was written by Marty Noxon, directed by David Solomon, and originally aired on February 15th, 2000, just one day after Valentine's Day. <laughs> this is... <laughs> God, what were you doing on Valentine's Day in the year 2000? I literally don't even want to think about it. I was... And you? <laughs> well, I guess I was February of 2000. So I started dating my first girlfriend, Randy, in 1998, and we were together for two years. So I believe we may have been celebrating what would, unbeknownst to us, be our last Valentine's Day together as Valentine's Day. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is I'm the sure it was very romantic. I'm sure many a uh, hemp necklace was uh, hand woven and gifted. Yes, 100%. <laughs> this is the one where tension erupts between Buffy and an ailing Riley as they pursue Professor Maggie Walsh's killer. By ailing, do they mean increasingly sweaty? They mean so. So sweaty. Like, do you think that Mark Lucas saw David Boreanaz's performance in, like, the, what is it, Becoming, when he's all sick? Or what's the, which season finale is it when he's, like, super fucking sweaty and he's trying to make out with Oz? <laughs> oh, that's at the end of season three after Faith has shot him. Right. Yeah. So I feel like Mark Lucas was, like, studying up on uh, previous sick, ailing Buffy boyfriends right. and was like, right. yo, I can out-sweat this dude. I've got this. Um, I can out-sweat this dude. Important advances being made. You know, competition is healthy and uh, yields achievement. Yes, yes. Also, though, I don't think that Mark Lucas out-sweat David Boreanaz. I, I think that David Boreanaz <laughs> slash Angel still holds the title for... Well, why can't they just get into a room together and both sweat is my Wow, question. Jenny. <laughs> anyway, so here we are in this fucking episode. Oh, my God. This fucking... It's like <laughs> these two episodes, really. Like, Goodbye, Iowa and the Iron Team. Just like back-to-back -back fucking Adam times infinity. I literally yes. can't. It's really... I... <laughs> yeah. I'm a monster. Ah, um, I, I just uh, <laughs> I believe he actually says what am I <laughs> no I know I know um, but and Jenny don't worry because in case you didn't get enough of that clip of Adam saying mommy we get it again <laughs> oh my god yeah Here. the previously on of of this episode is definitely like here's all the things that you don't care about and that you wish weren't happening this season <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm like, where, where are Willow and Tara done any spells? Oh my God. They have Jenny. I don't know if you saw the thread that I started for us on Twitter, but I'm really excited about it. Uh, it is a dating guide for uh, queer women uh, narrated by, of course, our favorite two witches, Tara and Willow. And so I did see that. I, oh, yes. I, I plan to add a gift to it. Every episode that, that, Something witchy happens between these two that is 
obviously coded language for doing yeah. it. Was there anything in this episode? Was there any doing it in this episode, uh, do you think? Um, Jenny, seriously? We'll get there. Wow. Well, yes. Okay, okay, okay. There we'll was there. definitely witchy doing it in this episode. Do you mean did they actually okay. do it or were they referencing doing no. it? No, 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 no. I'm just talking about was there any magic that was interpretable? Well, so, right, that's what I mean. Like, there wasn't any magic that happened that was doing it, but there was a lot of talking about magic as a coded way. Oh, yes, and I I can't wait to get there. Oh, God, reminded me. But first, first let's start with, has Spike already been calling Buffy Goldilocks a bunch? Like, I feel like I don't remember if I just haven't noticed it as much as I did in this opening scene. Or I don't know, but people who live in glass Blondie Bear houses shouldn't throw Goldilocks (laughs) stones. (laughs) Well, but Blondie Bear is simply a commentary on hair. As a certain thread of patriarchal beliefs would uh, have it, Jenny, when someone says Goldilocks, they are not only referring to the golden locks upon one's head, but also they're demeaning them for being a lady. So why don't we get in that nice patriarchy jingle here for Goldilocks? The patriarchy! (laughs) Wait, 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 Kristen. Whoa, hang on. I'll listen to the patriarchy jingle all day. But do you really feel like uh, Goldilocks is synonymous with negative stuff? Because if you recall, I feel like Gold doesn't Goldilocks uh, isn't Goldilocks an asshole? The bears <laughs> doesn't doesn't Goldilocks win? And um, am I crazy? What happens in what Goldilocks? Do you mean, okay, what do you so mean? What do you mean? There's three bears. <laughs> Doesn't she defeat the bears? (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't she? Okay, so let me just see if I can if I can sort this out for us because we all know how good I am at retaining the nuances of story arcs. Uh, So Goldilocks goes into a house. She's really talking. She's been hiking all day. Oh, L.A. It's so tiring. You're always hiking somewhere. Oh, God, I just I really could go for some kombucha, but I'm nowhere near a store. Uh, Let me just pop into this deserted house and see if they have any booch in the fridge. So she goes into the house and then she's like, gee whiz, I'm so sleepy. No, she's not sleepy first. First, she's hungry. Maybe. And there's like porridge and some of it's hot and some of it's cold and some of it's just right. <laughs> so this shows me that Goldilocks knows what she wants out of life. Uh-huh. Then then something else happens that I can't remember. She does something other than eat and then and encounters a similar to something to something just mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. And then what a great episode of our podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's going great and, so far. And then she's like, I'm so tired. She gets into a bed and she's like, this bed is too hard. And then she gets to an, into another bed and she's like, this bed is too soft. She, she's just striving. She knows that she deserves what she wants out of life. Then she gets into the third bed and it is just right. And she falls asleep. And then some bears come home and they're like, did you see that there's kombucha in the fridge? What? Are you even talking about? I don't remember what happens after she falls asleep in the baby bear's bed. I don't remember what. I I think it's actually the mama bears, I believe. 
What? No, isn't is it, it? No, isn't it's she the, all about the mama bears business? No, she's all about <laughs> such a queer reading of Goldilocks, Jenny. Okay. <laughs> You're like, okay. doesn't she love the mama okay. bear though? No, Goldilocks. Okay, I love your interpretation, but in my mind, Goldilocks broke into some fucking house that is owned by a lovely family of bears that just want to have peace, and she eats mm, their food peace. and judges it, and then sleeps in their beds and judges them. Um, and for some reason, the baby bear, it's like the I don't remember whose is too hot and who is too cold, but I think that the parental units are too hot, too cold, and the baby bears is what was just right. Um, I see. However, um, I don't think the story of Goldilocks is rooted in a patriarchal trope, to get back to your question. But I feel like your reading is is definitely uh, filtering through... Uh, the patriarchy. As we often know, we're all victims. No, we all no, live inside no. the patriarchy. <laughs> yes, no, no you, she Jenny. was judging their food, judging it. No, no, Jenny. Just she was just, just seeking what she wanted. Your Goldilocks <laughs> pants down over there. What I'm right. well, only thing I was trying to say before this episode turned into a five-hour special on Goldilocks <laughs> <laughs> was that I think that Spike's using of the phrase Goldilocks has a tone to it that is patriarchal he's not just commenting on her hair he's like because because the next thing he says is a, like talking about her bad taste in men and how she should get a better boyfriend because her boyfriends are always fucking her over so it's super like uh you know talking to her in a very like there's a couple of references in this episode to her being like i'm gonna play the dumb blonde like she says something like that later which i wrote down and we'll get to but I, I just was trying to say that I think that Spike is being a bit demeaning in a way that I read as dude to lady demeaning mm. with his choice of phrase here, um, which does not happen with Blondie Bear. Blondie Bear is like, you know, uh, what's that's a, a fun pet name, harmonies. but I don't yeah. feel like I don't feel like Spike needs to rely on some kind of demeaning a woman trope in order to insult. Buffy because he's constantly hurling insults at everyone in the Scooby gang. Yes, I agree. But I still think this is a patriarchal moment. But we can agree to disagree. Two titans converge on the battlefield to discuss whether or not (laughs) Spike's use of the word Goldilocks to Buffy is specifically demeaning uh, from a uh, anti-woman angle. Yes. And talk amongst yourselves. Please send us all of your feelings. Uh, on which titan you side with. <laughs> Do let us know. So we are now, we're at around like 12 minutes of talking and we've covered the, like the first, first sentence line. of the episode. The first so line. This is good. <laughs> oh, but that's okay because, you know, Jenny, there's not a ton in this episode. So I think a few tangents from us <laughs> won't hurt anybody. Um, this scene, this opening scene, apart from the moment um, that we just talked about, is really all here for them to establish that Buffy is like, yo, Maggie tried to fucking kill kill me and for the Scoobies and Giles especially to be like but why like why would she want to kill you there's like way more to think about now because before Giles just thought she was a fishwife and now he's like (laughs) you know wait this lady is um hiding something is their theory which of course is correct I do kind of wish we saw a little more like ha from Giles about this right I wrote the same note I said well I actually said props to Giles for not gloating but I felt the same way I was like dude you hated this lady you're not going to even give one dig in here he's just holding it all in he's just like too excited to be main dad on campus again (laughs) 
<laughs> um, so we sort of turn the corner of the scene with them being like, but what would she want to hide? And then it like cuts to like a barn, which who knew Sunnydale had barns, but apparently they've got one, uh, which Adam, you know, staggers out of. But, I mean, the monster can barely walk. It's, he's the most horribly assembled monster I have ever laid my eyes upon. For- if we're to believe, well, you've seen the pit, you've seen how technologically advanced <laughs> the initiative is. They have so much tin foil. How could it be that they assemble this guy uh, not, and he like kind of is a little janky? Right. I mean, like he could fall apart at any moment. His, his like middle, his like abdomen middle section looks like they were like, um, I think there's like some like leather strips down the hall. You yeah. just give me like a big <laughs> yeah, needle just, and get some big staples. <laughs> like it's like it's just really a mess. I just like Maggie is supposed to be this genius and uh I think she could work on her like surgery skills. Um just my my opinion. So we roll right into the credits, don't we, Jenny? We certainly do. Uh, the credits are as they always were, though I will say I noticed that Faith and Buffy were dancing right after all of the Mark Lucas clips, which I enjoyed. I felt like I got a lot of your favorite butterscotch hunk, and then I got an immediate reprieve from um, heterosexuality <laughs> into queer queer dancing. Well, <laughs> something for everyone, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, personally, I do think a butterscotch hunk is for everyone, but <laughs> I won't put but that on anyone. everyone might else. not agree with you. Yes, agree. <laughs> uh, so we're back at Giles, and this is when the plan to hide out at Xander's comes into play. Uh, yeah, not a popular plan. Two most offended people by this plan are certainly Anya and Giles. Uh, <laughs> yeah, hard to to spank or be spanked when. Uh, wow. You're having a slumber party. Like, and I, also, I know that you were talking about, like, uh, Anya and Xander, but because <laughs> I had said, like, the two most upset people were Anya and Giles, and you immediately said hard to spank or be spanked, I got, like... Good God. Really turned around in my fan fiction. So, <laughs> mm. I've righted mm. myself. I've righted myself. Where were you going to go? Well, she is a thousand years old, so she might be too old for That's for true. Giles. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> but somehow not too old for Xander. Um, my my main concern, so Giles is like, I'm above this, but like, what is Mrs. Harris thinking about um, hey mom, I'm gonna have a sleepover, my girlfriend and these two other girls, and then also our high school librarian <laughs> who is currently between projects. Well, I mean, it might have been proposed uh like, hey, my friend and this person and this person, and also your side boyfriend, uh, Mr. Giles. Is <laughs> well then why over. is he sleeping on the beanbag chair or whatever? That's true, that's true. I think that I think Xander's mom has no idea for the most part what goes on in that basement. Um for for whatever reason, whether it's because she's uh, busy working a million jobs or because it's uh, that she doesn't care or a combination therein. Um, I don't sure, think that she sure. is super, super concerned with what the hell Xander is doing down below. Right. Um, shout out to the fact that the bat with the hook is still a weapon being used. Hooray! Um, Do you remember when that first came into uh, you know, the universe? I don't remember, though I think... 
I mean, I think I feel like it was fairly recently. Like I want to say season three. Uh, it doesn't feel like something that was like with us for a long time, but I just really remember being like, wow, that's a hook taped to a bat. <laughs> and yeah, definitely an instant classic whenever it came into play. Yeah. And, I, you know, Jenny, we've seen a lot of cosplay, but I have not seen too much cosplay with the bat hook. So a call probably to... A, probably hard to get a, a bat with hooks coming out of it. Uh, through security <laughs> at various conventions. <laughs> uh, so another major thing that happens in this scene, of course, is that Giles is like, probably no one even knows that I live here moments before Riley walks in the door. <laughs> but I'm dumb. Yeah, dude. All right. And uh, Riley, so are you excited, Jenny, to go through the many progressions of sweaty Riley in this episode? Well, yes, I am. Of course. <laughs> He's just getting started. He's just begun to sweat. Yeah, he hasn't really hasn't even. He? Like he, I mean, maybe he has. He's sweating, but we just can't see it yet in this scene. Uh, and then it advances later on. But um, but yeah, you know, basically, uh, Riley walks in, and Buffy's like, "Yo, fucking Maggie tried to kill me," and he's like, "There has to have been a mistake. This can't be." reality because like I trusted this person and also took orders from this person and this is something that will unfold more and more for him as the episode uh, right. goes forward but he he also is like oh hey it's Hostel 17 <laughs> just hanging out we've been looking for him you know I'm upset that when we were hanging out with James Marsters in London we didn't get to hear him say I'm just a friend of Xander's because yes I think it's that one seems of my like a tragedy in right? retrospect uh, so, right, Spike is like, you know what, it, like, he he tries to pretend for, like, half a second, and then he's just like, fuck it, I give up, uh, I'm your fucking guy, uh, and they're like, but he's not bad. <laughs> like, one of the <laughs> classic tropes of season four is Spike continuously trying to remind everyone that he is a fucking vampire. He's bad. He's so bad. And he's, he's really bad. bad. But the more he tells us that he's bad, of course, the less threatening he becomes. <laughs> True. What else is happening? We were seeing we're seeing in this scene that Riley is growing like increasingly tweaky. He's like starting to right exhibit behaviors that we don't typically associate with Riley. Right. He's uh, yeah, edgy or um, not edgy. Um, on edge. Is on what I'm edge. To say. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, totally. He's, he's on edge and he, you know, like his his disbelief of of what Professor Walsh has done is like understandable. Xander's really being super protective um, and defensive of Buffy, which is like a Xander trademark. Um, totally. But, but it, it's sort of like well placed in this scene. You know, it's not as like eh, Xander as it has been in previous scenes because he basically, I mean, I think he says literally, your boss just tried to make monster food out of her. So like maybe you should fucking chill for a second, dude. And he's fucking right. And like, you know, I see all the sides of it, but I'm like, I'm here for the defensiveness and the protectiveness of Xander in this moment. It's a little like puffing the chest, uh, you know, like all of the all of the dudes are puffing chests here. But I I think that it's pretty solid. Um, and, and I give Xander a thumbs up for defending Buffy. But then Riley, of course, leaves really upset. Yes. And we all hate to see Riley upset. <laughs> well, you know, you bring up, I think, a good point, Jenny, in that, like, you know, up until now in the series, I've mostly been playing my jingle, which is, you know, insisting that Riley, please go away. Um, and having very yes, little yes, sympathy, you know, for him and his 
stuff. And I stand by my feelings, but I will say that this journey, like this arc of of Riley's is something that does move me and that I feel like sympathy for him with that he has been essentially and and this episode really unpacks this like programmed right and and they take it another step it's not just that he like ha- has been trained to follow the rules but he's also we find out has been drugged um to make him even more compliant and more able to follow the rules and and yeah. follow these missions so you you know i i do have space for sure in my heart and mind for the fact that this guy his entire universe has been turned upside down. All of the things he thought were true weren't true or at least are in question right now. He's really lost mm-hmm. and he's going through withdrawal. So like, I, I this is one of my like, I, I think, I don't know past this, but I think this is one of my top Riley episodes in terms of like really being able to sympathize with him um, and feel for him. Yeah, he's having a hard time. Like ever known as being called into question. He's also like put in this position where he's uh, being physically affected on a biological level right uh by withdrawal from what the initiative was feeding him and he's also lost what we understand to be his mother figure and also his like leadership figure Mm. and she's in direct conflict or like the uh organization that she was attached to is now in direct conflict with uh the woman he loves you know what's funny apart from that last bit about the woman he loves is almost everything you said could also describe what uh, Maggie's other child, Adam, <laughs> is going through. Duh. All right. Oh my God. Um, I will say that I have no sympathy for Adam. I don't like him, and I don't care for him in the least. <laughs> um, but you know, that's the parallel here, right? That like essentially, Professor Walsh had um, affection toward Riley as a as a son, and also had affection toward Adam, and and really like sort of created Adam and was a mother figure to Adam in that sense. And Adam spends this episode trying to figure out what he is, which gets us to the next scene where he literally says, "What am I?" <laughs> his voice (laughs) to this little boy i know and like i just can't handle him and i we already talked about this but my note in this scene was has anyone ever assembled a monster so poorly (laughs) because right like come on it seems like they gave up halfway through or something <laughs> like like Maggie did, or like the the department of props and makeup. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe both. It just like he just seems stitched together so shoddily. Right, exactly. I mean, that's what I had been saying. Like it looks like, looks literally like he's a poorly assembled football with a metal plate. <laughs> <laughs> a poorly assembled football. <laughs> um, but essentially. This scene is just like us seeing Adam talk to this little boy and we see him get the light bulb idea. Oh, I can just take you apart to find out how you work and that will maybe help me understand how I work. Whatever, Adam. Murder this child. Do what you need to do. I hope that you're not in this season too much. <laughs> I think you're just like, do what you have to do. I'm like, do what you got to do, man. Can you just, can we get the next big bad, please? Can we move on <laughs> with our lives? <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm saying normally we don't trash on big bads too hard um, because I know everybody has different opinions. But I feel like generally speaking, the opinion collectively of Adam as a, as a, a uh, big bad is like, Meh. 
Um, so I, I think he's probably fan ranked as the least fave big bad. Yeah. So and you know if you disagree with us and you like have it have a thing for Adam, like let us know. I would love to hear an opposing view uh, more than Please. more than anything. So, Jenny, now we get to the scene where Dr. Doom, whose name I can literally never remember. <laughs> Dr. Engelman. Engelman. Dr. Anglerfish is like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me come into the room and look for Professor Walsh. And I mean, my first question in this scene is why do the lights not work? Because I don't think that was something that Adam destroyed. I like. Yeah, I, what the hell? Right. And you made the point, uh, Jenny, of this scene being, like, really long and there being a lot of looking he's lo- He walks into a very small room and he looks left and he looks right and he looks to the middle distance and to the far wall and he looks all around the room and takes some steps and then he slips in some blood and falls. But <laughs> when he falls and sees Professor Walsh on the floor... He would have seen her in his field of vision like seven times while he was surveying the room. <laughs> right. Maybe that's why they you made the, the lights not work for no reason. Oh, yeah, maybe. Right. So Dr. Anglerfish learns that Maggie is dead. He somehow <laughs> manages... Dr. Anglerfish <laughs> is really working for me. <laughs> he somehow manages to get blood literally all over his entire body. <laughs> like, he, he, he like, <laughs> slips in it and puts both hands in it. And I'm just like, dude, come on. Like, he, you're, he's really... Like, I feel like after the scene cuts, he also, like, in shock, wiped his hands all, all over his face. You know? He's just like... <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> and then do you think he said, oops? Yeah. <laughs> Yes, I do. I really do. Like maybe um, that's the vibe. So we leave uh, oopsie doctor slipping in blood to go back to, or not back to, but to Xander's for the first time where we get a close-up on their sleeping arrangements, which I'm sorry that Giles is in his beanbag chair, which he refers to as a beach ball, but I'm <laughs> pretty into the fact that, like, all the ladies are sharing the fold-out couch together. Just, I think it's fun. Fascinating. You Three know. women on a fold-out couch. And, and it's sorry, like... I guess that didn't require restating. <laughs> I just got excited. It was funny because you, like, restated it because, like, I felt like the restating was supposed to be, like, sexy, but, like, it felt like halfway through you realized that the end of it was fold-out couch, and so it just it just sort of, like, went down in its cadence by the time you got there. This is a small fold-out couch, though, and I'm just saying, like, I feel like probably you have, like, even if you don't want a spoon, you kind of have to spoon, so... Wow. I know. There's like a part of me, it's weird because like when we talk about like Buffy and Faith, we like get really into it, but I just got really self-conscious because I feel like I'm a 30, well, let's see, when does this air? Mm, The 19th. So by the time you hear this, I'm a 38-year-old woman. Uh, (laughs) And, you know, these are people who are like freshmen in high school. They're there. I mean, I guess Anya is, as you mentioned, older, but like sometimes just now I felt creepy, like being like, yeah, three teenage girls in a bed. Like I'm trying to pull out the queerness and be excited about like potential queerness, but also maybe I need to ch- cool my jets. I don't know. <laughs> Talk amongst <Well>. yourselves. <laughs> I mean, I just think that, you know, we're out here looking for uh, <clears throat> relevant material and 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 all the actors on this show mm. what at this point we're looking at Sarah Michelle Gellar's like 22 probably 24 something like that Allison Hannigan too Emma Caulfield I think might be a couple years older than them right 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 I, yeah it's not like they're kids and also 
Also, wait, you just called them high school girls, but they're in college? They are. They're freshmen in college. A lot has changed since you left town, Angel. I'm in college now. I'm a big girl. (laughs) Wow, Jenny. (laughs) You know? I hope that somebody takes the sound clip of you saying, I'm a big girl. (laughs) There's something fun with it. Um, And and not to, like, whatever. I, I think you make a solid counterpoint, and I'm sure it's all fine. But also just to, like, go a little bit deeper into it. Fan fiction, right, and and stuff like this is, like, especially when, I mean, I know fan fiction can go in any direction, but a lot of fan fiction is queer um, and is sort of, like, written to bring together characters who, like, wouldn't have otherwise gotten the chance to be together a lot of times because it's queer mm-hmm. pairings and what have you. Um, and so, like, mm-hmm. I think there's an element at play, like, an element of sexuality at play um, when we think of pairings that d- certainly doesn't erase age. It's, like, not suddenly okay to, you know, be, like, writing fan fiction about kids but like it does take away some of the like me in it right it's not like I Kristen would like to like be the fourth spoon in this bed I mean maybe I would I don't know but it's not about it's not yeah like that's not what it's about when I say that it's more about like ooh, the fun like the fun I can have in in thinking about pairings that wouldn't have existed or that don't exist um that could be fun right right yes Anyway, they have a lot of girl talk, as you do when you're sharing a bed. <laughs> They're like, what about this boyfriend, Buffy? Can't you ever have somebody boring? And Anya's like, hands off my man. <laughs> um, and then, well, I feel like you're, you're leaving out the best part of that, which is like Anya saying, you should get a boring boyfriend. Like Xander. Like Xander, that's you true. You can't have Xander specifically, but like... You know, just somebody boring like him. Oh, it's really not like, I mean, we're going to get plenty of opportunity to talk about Anya, but Anya's approach to things is really refreshing, right? It's like Anya has chosen Xander because Xander like really fulfills all of the needs that she has, like spanking. And, you know, like it's like she's not there for drama. She's not there for like a lot of complexity. She like Xander is reliable. He's loyal. And apparently he's good in bed. Sorry, everyone. But Anya's into it. And well, I, I don't think you have to apologize for Xander being good in bed, we think. <laughs> I always feel like I take some of our listeners off guard when I suddenly put an image of Xander sleeping with somebody in their mo- in their ears, you know? Like, I'm like, I apologize. Yeah, like, you no, just had I to picture that. that. Maybe you didn't want to, <laughs> but you're right. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, I, I just love an Anya, like, spin on stuff. And I think it's fun that, yeah, that she's like, dude, what do you, like, what do you need out of a boyfriend? Here's my list. And Xander fills all of the points. So maybe pick a guy like him. (laughs) Jenny, then we, um, of course, well, whatever. They find out that the little boy has been killed. They they suspect it's the Polgar demon. But they find out on the TV news when Xander comes downstairs and says, turn on the TV, which had previously been showing cartoons. Mm. Channel untouched but as soon as they turn it back on it's on the the news special sunnydale uh, a child has recently been murdered in a suspicious or potentially supernatural way alert channel well you know what though here's a thought jenny is like you know how when i don't know like the president um gives an address they'll like if it's like for a really big deal thing like a, an announcement that like all the people in the nation need to find out about they'll interrupt your programming or like if there's like a state of the union right they do that too on the at least the right, like right. cable or what do you call the channels that you get when you don't have cable those channels abc nbc fox etc um maybe sunnydale is so under siege all the time and on a hellmouth. so perhaps 
We know the cops aren't super advanced in this town, but maybe the media people are, and they have that kind of <laughs> broadcast system so that when young boys are speared by uh, Frankenstein demons, they have a way to tell people, hey, there's a Frankenstein demon on the loose or whatever. I suppose this is a real possibility. You know, I don't know. Just just a posit. No, no. And I I think it would be, it would behoove them. It, it's almost uh, too good of an idea for Sunnydale to actually be doing it. Yeah, that's also a good point. They're not the most responsible. They're not the most thorough town. Um, as you may recall, the, the previous mayor was just trying to ascend to pure demon form. <laughs> uh, but wait, Buffy's. Who's the mayor yes. now? I uh, we don't know. Do we ever? F- I mean, I guess whatever. Don't spoil it for me. But like, is it perhaps Helene Schneider at this point? <laughs> yeah, is, this, is this when her term began? Like, what's going yes, on? Yes, friend of the pod, Helene Schneider, <laughs> mayoring about. Um, um. So before we leave this, yes, I can hear you're going to go there, Jenny. This is a really yeah. important ending of a scene for you. Buffy has had enough. She's not going to take it anymore. She's got big plans and a strategy, and she's in commander mode and she does her whole monologue and then she's like hmm looks down at herself and realizes that she's wearing a matching set of pajamas Mm. yummy sushi pajamas Mm. uh sending up a flare for me for sunnydale matching pajama set watch 2018 (laughs) and also kind of undermining her very uh, leadership-oriented speech that she just gave. Yeah, I mean, it is the first time when um, Buffy herself makes the point that you've been trying to make all season, uh, which is that sometimes a matching set of pajamas takes a little of the oomph out of your oomph. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, so, I guess in the, in the right situation, they could add much-needed oomph. That's but true. But this is not one of those situations. Uh, yeah, what would be a situation where matching pajamas would add? I guess if you are trying to um, tell people what the meaning of Christmas is, your matching pajamas <laughs> might add the oomph that you're looking for. Uh, meaning of Christmas, pillow fight. <laughs> oh, nice, nice, nice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, slumber party, mm-hmm. movie marathon. Right. Okay, great. Um, so, yeah. Again, but anyway. Anyway, moving right along to um, it's another... It's time for Riley and Forrest to re- retire to the balls suite. <laughs> another great <laughs> shot of Riley's balls roaster. <laughs> I love when you, like, talk over me because I know that something, like, that you have a sentence that is critical that you get out <laughs> in one piece. You gotta get it out well, it's there, man. Or I don't know what's going to happen. Like you were like, no, if she talks about them being in the room, I won't get to say my line <laughs> about the ball suite. <laughs> the things that are like really important to us in our work here about bringing the vampires. <laughs> yes, truly. Uh, truly. Yeah. Well, this, this is more of Forrest being like, where were you all night? Oh, probably having sex with your girlfriend when you could have been having sex with me. Uh, yeah. And then, yeah, there's just like a lot of like, they're really, you know, it's like, I'm sure some people are like, why do you keep talking about Forrest and Riley having sexual tension? And it's like, dude, there's no other reason that he would be so, bana- like, he's so over the top. He really uh, is. With it, there's so much misplaced tension, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and, uh, Riley's trying to confide in Forrest about like what's going on. And Forrest is like, well, you ever think if, Professor Walsh wanted to kill Buffy. Maybe Buffy needed killing. She's always asking questions. Rah. And then Riley's like, 
why are you so bummed that I'm or bummed out that I'm hanging out with her? Is it because she's a better soldier than you? Which like a Buffy is not a better soldier than Forrest or anyone. She's a great warrior, but she's a terrible soldier. Right. Yeah, she does not follow orders, which like we're here for. But um, I definitely don't think she's going to win too many medals of honor um, in her soldier career. Uh, and No, she only wins parasols. Jenny, I wanted to just say very briefly, um, slight spoilers for... The Magicians, um, I guess. So I don't know. Skip a minute if you haven't watched it yet. But it's just a minor spoiler. But this this actor, um, I was looking up his name while you were talking, but I did hear you. Uh, Leonard Roberts is his name, and mm. uh, he. So Who we plays do- Forrest. Who plays Forrest? Sorry, yes, the actor that plays Forrest and Leonard Roberts. Um, you were talking about like you know maybe you're wondering why like we're always saying blah blah blah, but we think there's sexual tension there. What's really fun is that Jenny and I have watched The Magicians, and this actor Leonard Roberts plays a gay dude within the universe of The Magicians, and I felt well, like well, I think he's isn't he bisexual? Oh, I'm sorry, he is bisexual. Yes, he is. <laughs> what I meant to say is we get to see him with a dude, um, and being like super romantic. Yes. And Sexy with a dude. And also being referred to as a DILF. Yeah. <laughs> Solid point. Greatly underused yeah. Um, acronym. Yeah. Agree. Uh, everybody's always talking about MILFs, but nobody's ever talking about DILFs. I, I, I agree. And I'm glad that we got a little bit of that. And it just like felt like, especially because the magicians like really pulls a lot of, you know, there's like a lot of Buffy stuff that happens in that show. So it almost oh, felt yeah. like an extension of the universe where I finally got to see Forrest being his true self. <laughs> Truly. Um, anyhow... Graham walks in and, as Graham does, gets told to, like, go screw. And he's, like, uh, looks really upset. And so Forrest actually notices, um, you know, Forrest picking up on the facial expressions and moods of his fellow uh, soldiers, of course, because he loves them, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, Hot, is, like, yes. I know, I noticed that something's up, so what's up? And um, Graham is, like, Professor Walsh is dead, which is, like, what the fuck? We've known, but they haven't known. and They didn't know. And so... They go down to see what the fuck is going on. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Upon seeing uh, Professor Walsh's body for one second, Forrest is immediately like, oh, that wound? The only thing that could have done that is a wooden stake wielded by your girlfriend. Which is not factual information at all. No, no. And then Riley and Forrest like start to tussle, and hmm, and Engelman <laughs> breaks it up, uh, and is like, "Show some respect." And uh, then we see Riley scratching his hand. Yes, the uh, first... indicating an increase in his uh, 
agitation. Yeah, and Jenny, this actually, like, this whole Riley arc of, like, his withdrawal symptoms, um, I, I'm not somebody who has seen the X-Files yet. I know, gasp, gasp, gasp. I need to get on it. But um, every time, Jenny, I have seen you sing the song Clean Break, which has been a lot of times, you often tell this, uh, you know, you use this metaphor of an X-Files episode where there's, I think, cockroaches underneath people's skin. Yes, uh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And so I haven't seen the episode, but it's so you tell the you tell it very well. It's like really inside of my brain visually. Uh, and so I was thinking about that as Riley was describing later to Buffy, like what he's feeling when he's like itching his skin. Well, well, well. It's so rare for me to get to talk about an X-Files reference since I don't have any. So I just was really yes, excited. Congratulations. Also, mm, a testament to me. Such a vivid songwriter <laughs> and compelling stage presence. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, I'm like, that's my shtick. I tell people all the time that I'm a natural talent. Uh, yes, yes. We know you're a natural talent. <laughs> A number one quality of natural talent. They tell you all the time they're a natural talent. It's just natural for you to tell people. (laughs) So (laughs) anyway, this scene, I think the important things in this scene are Forrest is bullshit, which you said, like, I'm trying to blame Buffy. It's so ridiculous that, like, I feel like Riley doesn't even give it a beat. Like, he's just like, this is ridiculous. You're ridiculous. But the other big thing, I think, is that Riley directly disobeys orders. And I don't know that we've ever seen that really happen before. This is a pretty major thing for him. Buffy does it all the time. Riley does it's not. It's hot. Yeah. Yeah, disobey those orders. Mm. Yeah, maybe he needs to take a lesson from the Anya spankings. Bye. Okay, whoa, whoa, Gotta whoa, go. whoa, 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 whoa. So anyway. <laughs> to the cemetery in full combat gear in broad daylight. Broad daylight. And Forrest uh, is really ready to take out his uh, anger and sorrow on uh, any demon that he sees, which he declares will die. Yeah, it's... um. Really, also, this scene is, whatever, we don't have to spend a lot of time on it, but, like, the fact that they walk into this crypt and they're like, somebody's obviously been living here. Is it a homeless man when the only thing out of place is a television set is... Also, what's that TV plugged into? Mm, Good question. Maybe it's a really fancy mausoleum that has power outlets inside of it. I don't know. (laughs) Also, Uh, how did Spike get positioned so perfectly underneath that corpse and the like silk sheet that it's laid out on. Yeah. I well, don't you think like even if he was scooching down underneath it that he would have like disrupted the bone structure? Well, but the bone structure, did you notice when he sat up like later when there's the reveal that he was under there the whole time? When he sits up the bones of the skeleton are in these like little through glittery bags. Did you notice that? Oh my God, what? No, what? Yeah, I'm describing the fabric very poorly. We need Kate. Kate, are you here? What's that fabric called? Um, but it's like a it's like a gauzy like kind of a fabric and it's almost like the skeleton is. <laughs> I'm really glad we're talking about this. I didn't think I was going to be talking about the skeleton's pants, but it's like... Sure, sure. It's kind of like the skeleton is wearing little gauzy pants. And I imagine that... Mm. That yes. The, that the reason they did that was for this exact reason that like Spike couldn't really sit up without knocking the bones every which way unless there was some semblance of keeping it together. But I don't understand. There's a lot of questions here, I guess, which is do they put gauzy things around? Uh, like, no, right? Because 
Wait, so people aren't buried. No, maybe it's just like a set dressing thing. People aren't buried naked. They're buried in clothes. So if this crypt, right? Like yeah. this this skeleton would ostensibly have had clothing on. Uh, whatever. It's just been there for so long that the clothes have deteriorated. deteriorated. Except for the gauze pants. Except for the gauzy pants. Anyway, I think that probably, like it seems like this is a place that Spike is used to hiding. It doesn't seem like this was like the number one first time that he's ever hid. Oh, so maybe those are Spike's gauzy pants. Oh my God, please let it be that like Spike went to the magic shop and then to the fabric store and was like, I need like like some gauzy material to make a pair of pants for the skeleton in my crib <laughs> 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 to make a better yes. hiding place. Anyway, um, yes, yes, yes. You know, we're t- anyway, we're taking way too long to get to the most beautiful scene <laughs> in the episode, which is Buffy Summers standing on a sunny hillside. Oh, the sun is so bright, and she's looking so far off into the distance that she must shade her eyes with her hand for a very long time and look onward seriously, very seriously. This is such a serious matter. A child has died. Rest in peace, tiny child. So sorry to see you go so soon. We hardly knew ye. Mm. But anyway, back to Buffy staring off into the distance, shading her eyes with her hand. It's pretty dramatic. It's pretty dramatic. And also it's a very... This is a pose she learned from Angel. Oh, wow. From our friend... Detective Angel. I mean, he wouldn't be shading his eyes against the sunlight, but he might be shading them against... You know what's crazy about Angel is he would shield his eyes from the sunlight even if it weren't there. That's how dramatic he is. Mm, Um, Yes. And speaking of dramatic, Butterscotch Angel is like, Maggie's dead. Happy now? Yeah, God. I mean, And then Buffy's like, how dare you? I'm surrounded by death. Look at all this death. How could you possibly think death makes me happy? It's really intense. It's really, I mean, she's right. Yeah, she's right. And like, Riley gets a little it's, bit of but a pass. It's very intense. Yeah, he gets a little bit of a pass in this episode since we know that he's like withdrawing from drugs and stuff. And like, the, you know, there's like more at work here than just. So, like, normally I'd be like, fuck you, Riley. But this time I'm like, well, he's going through like a complete emotional crisis and also withdrawal. So I'll give him. Give him some room to do those things. Um, there's a really weird, and uh, you know, I, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but want to just say I noticed that Buffy goes away. She's like, I'm going to fight the demon. Uh, I'm going to find this fucking demon. See ya. And then Riley looks over his shoulder back at the camera. And I don't understand what we're seeing, but probably those of you who work in film and TV could tell me the shot is weird it has like blackened corners um almost like there's a lens on it or there's not a lens on it or i have no idea but it it looks like you're seeing him through something which is not intentional because it wouldn't make any sense it's not like someone else is seeing him through a telescope or something uh so right right any dps out there got the hot goss on yeah what, what did, what's going on here yeah what did the editor mess, mess up here what what happened here um, I want to know. Oh, but Jenny, I'm. It's taken us a while yes, to get to it's this time. scene. <laughs> it's finally time. It's finally time. Um. Oh my God! I got your message. Says Tara. I had class. I was just about to call you. Please don't ever think that I am not obsessed with you because I am. Are you obsessed with me too? <laughs> yes, I am. Let's be obsessed with each other together. Listen, let me tell you something. I've been thinking about that last spell we did 
all day. Jenny, for the delight of our listeners, I'm going to just play that entire sound clip, starting with... Please. Yes, let's just go right into it. I had so much fun the other night. Those smells. Yeah, that was nice. I hope you don't think that I just come over for the spells and everything. I mean, I really like just talking and, and hanging out with you and stuff. I know that. But you want to do a spell. Yeah. <laughs> but only because it's really important. There's this... No, you, you don't have to explain. I don't mind. Really. I've been um, thinking about that last spell we did all day. Oh, Willow and Tara doing your witchy stuff, which also means you're having sex with each other. Okay. All right. I'm sorry, but no, I really want to talk about the line that that sound clip began with, which is, I hope you don't think I just come here, come over for the spells, which is a direct, I mean, it's, they're playing with witchcraft, the writers or whatever, um, to allow us to hear about these two women doing some stuff together without talking mm-hmm. about it which and I don't even think it's an avo- like I'm not saying that um as well they're not talking about the sex because they don't want to I think they're having a damn good time with like the analogy of you know witchy spells are two queer ladies doing it I'm here for it I like it all right all right I mean I also I'm obviously here for it <laughs> So then they, uh, Tara is a little hesitant when Willow suggests that they're going to conjure the goddess Thespia. So we'll come back to see how Tara handles her hesitancy. Uh, but first, we should go to Willie's place, the new and improved Willie's place. Yes, important piece of world building. Uh, demons love chicken fingers in the <laughs> Buffyverse. <laughs> I mean, and why wouldn't they? Chicken fingers are delicious or vegan Chicken fingers, if you prefer. Yeah, I'm sure that Willie has both options because he's classed up the joint, you know. And yep, he yep. tells Willie's place. Yeah, he tells Buffy like, "Yo, I don't, I don't two time anymore. I don't do this." We get a lot of the um, Italian stereotype in this uh, episode with Willie's place and the later um, Spike and the music that's playing. We'll get there, but like Willie's essentially like, "I don't fuck around anymore," which basically just means Buffy punch me in the nose and then. I'll tell you what you need to I'll tell you learn. Yeah. Riley walks in and is like, the fuck? This is like a little upsetting. I mean, of course it's upsetting. It's meant to be upsetting. But like I felt upset um, and like threatened with Riley in this scene for a couple of reasons. One, he's so sweaty. And anyone that sweaty seems like they might pose a risk of some kind. Why are you that sweaty? Uh, and mm-hmm, he, mm-hmm. two, he's really violent with Buffy, which is so far out of his character that like we know and we trust that it's really jarring um and he's really out of it and so it's just like a bad combination of things he grabs Buffy um he's shaking his hands are shaking which she says and then he does something that we hate in the Buffy universe he pulls out a gun yep yep and he points it at a tiny frail lady in a bucket hat who I'm going to say is a non-vampiric demon of some kind. That's the question I was going to ask. Is it a, it a human, human woman? Right. Yeah. And and I, I think based on her hat, <laughs> I'm going to say demon. 
Wow. Don't you think? Fucking there's rude. There's like something. No, there's just like something like her her whole getup. She just looks so small and frail that it looks like she's trying to look small and I frail. I guess that's true. She's like a demon where she looks right. She looks harmless. And that's like her her advantage is she looks like the helpless little lady. And then her like eyes pop out of her head and her jaw opens up and swallows it. And, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 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 Or I was thinking like, what if she was attached since you said anglerfish earlier what if there was a <laughs> demon that had like basically a small frail human woman uh mm. as its anglerfish like dangler lure? yeah <laughs> it's angler dangler yes angler dangler um and then somewhere behind her there's just like a massive landfish demon trying to gobble up some humans oh just a God. thought wow you know this is like our holiday episode and i feel like we're really giving you a lot to take home for the holidays <laughs> yes <laughs> so festive <laughs> um so okay so we go hey, to- i mean bioluminescence is not so far removed from like christmas lights that's true that's true oh my <laughs> god what a cool way to decorate your christmas tree a bunch of little <laughs> Like angler, not real anglerfish. Don't worry, PETA. We won't, no anglerfish were harmed in the making of this podcast. Uh, no, heavens no. Anyway, let's get to Xander's house, which is divided by tapestries into rooms. Nurse Buffy is here with Riley wrapping his Nurse hand. Nurse Buffy. Oh, you want to stop me there for a second? Just wanna... Nurse Buffy. Nurse Buffy. No, that's, I just wanted to shout Nurse Buffy a couple times. <laughs> um, I'm good now. She's 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 using now, Jenny. I know you watch the size of Mark Lucas's palms a lot, and um, not only would would he dwarf a full size bandana with his palm, but this tiny ass bandana, I'm gonna say, I think would look even tinier next to his giant palm than it does Dude. in this scene, right? Dude, it's so tiny. That bandana, it's just like a. Band-Aid or something. It's like if a real bandana sneezed, it would be what came out. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I like that a lot. Thank Um, you. (laughs) Uh, So this scene, you know, we've talked about this a little bit already, but like the lines that, that, or the the words that Riley is saying in the scene are so sad. Like, I thought I knew, but I don't. I don't know which team I'm on, who the bad guys are. Maybe I'm the bad guy, which is pretty terrifying. I know. It's really sad. And Buffy has gone through sort of like not this specific journey but like I remember this kind of like made me think of when Giles and Buffy were in the cemetery I believe it was after Jenny Callender got killed and oh yeah right and they're and they're talking about the fact that like bad and good there's no dividing line it's really there's a gray area and it's really hard to place things on one side or the other and Riley has lived a simple life in quotes up until this point because he has a very black and white, exactly. like everything is laid out for you. You don't have to ask questions. And now he's so, way. right, and now he's so turned around that he doesn't know what's good and what's bad. And because of that, he doesn't know if he's good or bad, which is really powerful. Um, and he's in this, like, tiny fetal position, which, you know, I mean, it's as small as Mark Lucas can get himself to look. I think he does a pretty good job. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we go to the other side of the tapestry where Xander is wearing something lovely. Jenny. Um, what is he wearing? He's wearing a shirt that says, oh I God. love dirt. 
like, like 10 times in a row. In a Why? row. Why? What is this shirt? Like we lived in the 90s and I don't remember it. I want to know what is going on. What could it mean? It's so mysterious. Anyway, Xander is called to duty, of course. They really go hard on this, like, Xander used to be a soldier. So, like, anything soldier-related, we'll call Xander in for. Um, Anya is not super thrilled about it because she wants a boring boyfriend. She doesn't want a boyfriend who's going to have to risk life and limb. Yeah, it's interesting how, you know, it seems like she's already aware of the sort of Scooby contract. Mm -hmm. uh, But suddenly in this, I wonder what it is about this situation that's got her all riled up. Yeah, I mean, like, I think she's... extra defensive of Xander. I think she's getting more attached to Xander. You know, like, I think that's what's Aww. happening. Like, I, that, right, I think she's just falling harder for him and getting more attached to him, and the risk of losing him is seeming more and more dire to her. That's my analysis. Yeah. Um, speaking of things being dire we go back to our witches in the next scene oh my god and essentially here's what i took away from this spell we both blow at the (laughs) same time and it makes a mist so i'm just gonna say we both blow stuff at the same time and then it makes a mist come okay thank you for going um i wonder what you could mean by that i wonder what that could possibly be uh (laughs) (laughs) so um a thing that i do want to talk well there's two things that i want to talk about in this uh, scene one is like tara and what is going on with tara but the other thing is really small but part of the spell that they um encant is that what you would say um oh yes i love that thank you um is we walk in shadows like that's part of how they are calling the goddess thespia which i i don't know if it was intentional or not but you know, queer, you know, queer literature, lesbian literature, like a lot of it was in the in the like 60s and 70s with like pulp novels. For example, a really famous um, lesbian pulp series is called Bebo Brinker. Um, and oh, if you give me just a half second to go down this alleyway. Um, so Bebo, <laughs> Bebo Brinker is a series that was written um, by a woman whose pen name was Anne Bannon. And Anne Bannon was married to this dude and she was coming into the city to uh, do research in hard quotes for her book that was about like <laughs> women falling in love with women, whatever. She wound up leaving her husband and was totally queer. Um, and she, she wrote these books and they were published and the covers especially were designed um, to attract men to buy them, right? Like women in the shadows, right. what do they do to each other? Um, and and <laughs> that was my like first point is that like that women in the shadows was like a very, very major um, phrase used at that time, especially in like talking about lesbians um, or mm-hmm. women who liked other women. Um, but to just round the Anne Bannon, Bebo Brinker story out, what was really fun about this series is that it was marketed to, like they would put it at like bus depots. They were pulp novels, so they were really cheap and they would put them you know at bus depots so that dudes would buy them before they like got on the bus but what happened was that so many queer women were seeking out these books because they talked about um manhattan and the places that queer women were going in manhattan um to find each other to meet each other and so they were used as like a guidebook by women who couldn't, who didn't have resources to find other women who liked women, which was just really fucking cool. I did a whole paper on Bebo Brinker. So thank you for indulging me and letting me talk about women in the shadows. (laughs) (laughs) 
did in any of the Bebo Brinker books, did uh, two women take four various gemstones, <laughs> place them in a square, get a fistful of mystic sand, and then <laughs> encant together, and then blow the sand all over the square? No, I, I, I missed that part if it happened, but I would have been really there for it. Oh. The question I have, and you don't have to answer this because there's probably an answer that I just don't remember, is why doesn't Tara let this spell happen? She puts, Oh, why does Tara sabotage? Why does Tara tuck her fistful of powder under her doily bedspread? <laughs> yes, that's Wow, when she finally meets Buffy, they're going to have so much to talk about. <laughs> She's like, oh, my God, I had those pillows and I had the bedspread. Did you? And Buffy's like, no, I just got the pillows. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I don't, I don't, as a viewer, know why Tara has done this. And maybe. How interesting. So, I wonder if we'll ever find out. Okay, great. So that lets me know that we will. And I just don't remember. Great, great, great. Um, but, yeah, Tara blows the spell um, up and. The one thing I do want to say before we go to the next scene is that Tara, like, she takes her fistful of uh, witchy dust and she puts it under her doily bed bedspread. But then when she takes her hand back out, she, like, must worry that Willow will open her eyes. And so she, like, pretends to throw the dust. <laughs> and it's really <laughs> yeah. funny. Like, if you didn't see it, go back and watch it because it's just so Tara. Like, the way that she fucking does it Dude. is, like, the most Tara thing that's ever happened. It's very good. Um, Buffy's going undercover, which means another tiny pair of glasses. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Don't you think it's interesting that um, Buffy's scientist outfit, <laughs> like government scientist costume <laughs> is just a Buffy outfit with a lab coat and some glasses? <laughs> it's kind of like every, like, 90s teen rom-com where right. they're like... <laughs> Look at that shit bomb in the paint-splattered overalls with the ponytail and glasses. And then she takes off her glasses and shakes her hair out. And they're like, whoa, prom queen. <laughs> Except this is kind of in reverse. Right, right. She, she dons a tiny pair of glasses and a white coat and suddenly is a doctor. Got it. Remember how tiny glasses used to be? Oh, my God. Jenny, okay, you and I just went to London, which meant I had to dust off my passport because I don't travel a lot. And I opened my passport, which was... Taken only in the year 2000 and wait, it was eight years into it. And we're 2010. It was 2010. 2010. That is not that long ago. The glasses on my head looked like I stole them from a baby. Looked like I <laughs> took them from a baby off of the like baby. One of those head. like pair of, of baby glasses that are like elastic banded <laughs> on. They kind of look like swimming goggles. Yes. They are so tiny. And that was only 2010. So like. Whew, yeah. We really went through a tiny glasses phase. Uh, anyway, yeah. the um, retinal scan, which is a retinal scan, not what Xander thinks it is, is complete. Buffy True. goes. Buffy gets in the elevator. And here's a question. No one monitors who the fuck goes in and out of the initiative. Like all of that tinfoil technology and they don't fucking monitor who comes in and out. That's weird. Yeah, it does. It does kind of raise some questions. <laughs> uh, there do seem to be some security loopholes, but also uh, the leader of the pack has just been murdered. Right. And so, you know, perhaps things are in disarray. That's true. That's true. Um, Xander coming in hot. 
gets to the initiative and is so bowled over by the beauty and the splendor <laughs> that is and the majesty the bit that he says like now i get it can i have sex with riley too and um ooh i'm just going to say Jenny? like you know jenny i didn't get excited about xander in a speedo i didn't get super excited about riley and his stuff but i have to say that i am really here for the Your interest pairing. is peaked? It is <laughs> peaked. I will take this pairing uh, and uh, bring it home with me. I would like to have this pairing. So thank you for it. Um, <laughs> Honestly, now that I'm thinking about it, uh -huh. the pairings or desired pairings that we've seen or been made aware of. Okay. Xander and Buffy. Xander and Cordelia. Xander and Willow. Mm -hmm. Xander and Anya. Mm-hmm. I feel like Xander don't and Riley forget, makes more sense than all of them. Don't forget about Xander and Angel, for God's sake. Oh, my gosh. Xander and Angel. Xander and Empata. Oh, Xander yes. and Natalie French, the sexy substitute <laughs> teacher slash praying mantis. That's high on my list, actually. That would be number two right after Xander and Riley. So, me. okay. So, that's interesting. I was going to ask you from between Xander and Riley and Xander and Angel, like, where your ranking was. And I agree that Xander and Riley outrank Xander and Angel for me. And I also agree that Xander and Natalie French outrank Xander and Angel. I think Xander and Angel would come fourth after. So Oh, what would be third? I think I like Xander and Anya. Oh, you know what I forgot? Xander and Faith. Oh, yeah. They don't rank high on my list at all. No, they're all the way at the bottom. Yeah. Uh, no, Xander and Anya is, is pretty great. Anyway. Um, wow. But I, I love this new <laughs> this new couple that we just came up with. I also, like, I hope that you Zyli. all. <laughs> Zyli. Yes. Oh, my God. Rander. Wow. Nope. <laughs> no. Zyli. Definitely Zyli. Oh, my gosh. Rinder. Almost <gasps> grinder, but grinder. Wow. Okay. Um, I would like to let I would like to let you all in on um, giving us feedback of whether or not you appreciate when we talk for an hour and a fucking half about your least favorite episodes of this show <laughs> or not. You know, let us thumbs know. Thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs in the middle. Right. Um, we can we can amend things if you'd like us to, but boy, we are having a time with this episode. So. Anyway, um, they make it through the first phase of the initiative without getting caught. Xander wants to make out with Buffy as an undercover tactic. She's like, dude, that is not what happens in the initiative. And then what? We <laughs> <laughs> Great point, Buffy. <laughs> Sweaty Riley is like scaring the shit out of Willow through tapestry walls because um, he has awoken. Oh, and then he... Yes. He throws her on the ground. Oof, Riley is really fucked up right now. Yeah, they really take it. And I think it's important that they take that they took it as far as they did to like really let us know how fucked up Riley is. Um, you know, with the with the medication and all this stuff. But ugh, I don't like the fact that we see Willow tossed um at all. And I'm sure knowing yeah. knowing Riley, like this seems like a thing that he would we we probably won't ever get to see this scene, but I feel like he and Willow will like sit down and really unpack this with each other, you know? Um how it made each of them feel, how they can work to uh, heal from wounds and things like that. So um, yes. I'm, I'm sure that that will happen. Especially considering over the course of their relationship, uh, Riley has like gone way out of his way to support Willow yes. and take care of Willow uh, when nobody else was doing it even. I agree. I agree. It's the one time in my life that I wish I had a don't go away, Riley Jingle. Damn. 
<laughs> so um, a couple of things. We learn, of course, that the meds are happening through the food. We've been talking about it all episode, but this is where we learn it. Um, and then we go, before we come back to the initiative again, we go briefly to Willie's place where we learn a couple of things. One is that he keeps a very beautifully decanted bottle of blood for the vampires, which is like pretty <laughs> wow, awesome. I, missed that. I gotta go back. Oh, really? Yeah, he, he pours um, a glass of blood for Spike, and it's like in this beautiful decanter. And I was like, yes, that's <laughs> how I prefer all my blood to be served. Um, the uh, the Willie's place is playing this like what I feel is like fairly Italian sound like it's like an Italian song, um, and then uh, Spike gets punched in the nose, and that's all we learn thus far. But if it's okay with you, Jenny, I would love to take this scene to its fruition just to like talk about it. Um, By all means, cool. So we learn in the in the scene of, at Willie's that follows this that. Um, Spike is no longer welcome at the demon bar and that's because he now kills and and or like beats up demons and that there's a code of conduct for demons that means that they don't do this to other demons. Now we've seen demons who fuck around with especially an angel where like the full-blooded demons were massacring the half-blooded demons and things like that but it it is really interesting and cool that we're learning that like there's sort of an unwritten code that demons don't fuck around with other demons point a and point b i think it's also really important that like the big arc of this episode is riley and what he's going through and adam and whatever but the little thread through this that spike has is really important because we've seen that spike mm -hmm. is really afraid like that he's really sort of reckoning with the fact that he's being hunted that he's been chipped and that he's really fucked up and then he goes as the last part of his little arc in this um, episode to the bar to be with the people he thinks he can be with and they don't accept him either and he's not welcome there so big plot points right. for spike Wow, where does he belong? Where he's not a monster. He? Uh, he's not a man. Uh, it's just like that song Britney Spears wrote. <laughs> oh my God. I'm not a man. <laughs> not, not quite yet a, a vampire. <laughs> wow. Yes. Um, well, well, well. Anyway. Um, back at the initiative. Uh, Engelman has just given up all the info. Yeah, in like wow. two seconds flat. He doesn't even, he's just like, here, here's everything. Yeah, yeah. And and who cares? Like, he's just trying to get to the good part, which is Adam <laughs> coming out of nowhere, inserting floppy disk after floppy disk into his chest slot. No, <laughs> listen, hold on. Okay, hold on, because I can't. Right. First of all, before we get to Adam, I don't need to talk about a lot because I know we've been talking forever, but like, I do want to talk about the fact that, um, Dr. Anglerfish tells Riley to take Buffy to the stockade, which I just now, put it. Is this the stockade the thing where traditionally your your hands and your head go in? Yes. But like What the hell? But like maybe they're like maybe in the military the stockade means like something else and not that thing. But I just like I prefer to think of the commandos just like swinging by and like throwing rotten tomatoes and stuff at Buffy while she's right. head and hands. <laughs> Um, anyway, but then yes, like you said, Adam 
um, reveals himself by killing a soldier and dropping him off and then him being like, me, I am 314. Uh, Then he delivers this whole monologue. I was thinking about the world, why I feel, what I am. And we're like, oh my God. And then Jenny. Yes. You already said how he puts the floppy disk in his motherfucking metal plate chest. But what I didn't realize upon my first view is that not only does he take a floppy disk and insert it into his body, (laughs) but he pulls it out of the cargo pocket of his pants. He has... Exactly. He He has has cargo pockets. He has cargo pockets that he has stored multiple floppy disks in with which he would like to learn information by inserting them into his chest cavity. If this is not the most 90s thing that has ever existed, I cannot, I cannot, I I could almost explode. Um, so he, he learns from the first floppy disk and I say the first because, um, he inserts a second one without ejecting the first to which we all say, what the fuck? We know how floppy disks work. Maybe those of you who are your younger listeners think that back in the age of floppy disks, you could simply insert multiple at one time. You could not, (laughs) you could only insert one at a time. Single disk capacity. Yes. Um, that the first disk lets Adam know that he is a kinematically redundant biochemical demonoid? I can't believe you wrote this down. I had oh, a pa- God. I don't I even tuned out. I blacked out when he said that. I just wanted to know what the words were and I don't even know that I got them correct but kinematically redundant like what does that mean? Why is he redundant? Redundant sounds like a bad thing. So what does that mean? Um, and could de- someone tell us? Could someone tell us? And, and demonoid um, is that, is there a reason for, anyway, um, you're right. I'm thinking too much into it, but I just noted it and wanted to talk about it. Uh, yes. One other thing that I want to talk about, because you know how I like to watch the manicures on this show, is I think that fucking Adam needs to go to the fucking salon to get somebody oh, yeah. to fix his damn nails up because they look like shit. His nails are a terror. Terror. He hasn't, he's also. When you're going to be handling tiny floppy disks and inserting that have full, they're full of delicate information that you need. You don't want to have big black horned claws like they, they, they just look very uh, unmanageable. It is true. Dangerous. Though, though I will say that I love when I um, interact with people with really long nails and they like use their phone or like um, like a cash register. <sighs> Anything with buttons that needs to be like where you need to like manipulate your finger around the nail to make it happen is very satisfying to me. It's like the clicking, the like slight click. I don't know. Sorry. I really went off there. But I... <laughs> I don't like Adam's nails. I do like when people have long nails and they use small things. Sometimes I think it's very satisfying. Cool, cool. Uh, uh, we also we also find out during Adam's exposition uh, speech that Maggie considered Adam and Riley to be her favorite children. Let's just remember that Adam was never uh, conscious or animated <laughs> during the whole time that Maggie was alive. And the first thing that he did was kill her. Yeah, but that's she didn't have time to revise her diary. You know, that's the thing. Is that like, right? Right, but like, how did how was she even like? This one's my favorite. Yeah, I uh, think I think because she made him. Like, I think. Yeah, I guess that's 
very human, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, and the thing the thing that I took away from that, Jenny, was that Maggie kept a diary, which I'm pretty into, that she was like. <laughs> I also, like, sometimes when I picture Maggie writing in her diary, like, sometimes she's writing in it, but then other times I picture her typing it into that machine that then speaks it back to her, you know? So it's, like, her feelings, yes. but, it, but they're said by the machine. So it's, like, my favorite children are Adam and Riley. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> So, um, things we already talked about that happened in this scene, I think, is basically Riley saying, I cannot be programmed. I'm a man, which is what he's grappling with uh, the whole episode. Xander gets, like, a a throw-in at Adam, which I thought was really cool and nice that Xander went for it. Um, Dr. Anglerfish, rest in peace. Uh, He He is harpooned. He gets harpooned. And Riley gets sort of, like, partially harpooned. Um, Harsh pooned, if you will. Wow. Please don't, actually. Wow. Wow. I'm sorry I said that. Adam skulks out through the vent and... Skulks! <laughs> and the army shoots through the doorway um, to find out what the fuck is going on. And this is like a standoff between, um, you know, the the initiative and Buffy, where she's like, he needs a hospital, and Forrest in particular is like, we've got this. This is what we do. We take care of our own here. Um, right. And I kind of like the way they played this, because Buffy's like, no, fuck you, like, in her initial response. And Xander is like, listen, let th- let them have this. Like, like, they have a thing happening here that, like, sort of goes beyond just them being the initiative. Like, there is a brotherly bond. There is, like, a bond that they have from working together, and they need to be able to, like, kind of see this through. Um, so yeah, I'm totally. a little bit here for that. Sure, sure. But Buffy is so worried about Riley and she's like he has nothing to hold on to and I'm like except a tiny triangular scarf ma'am <laughs> yeah he does he my my notes from this the last scene of Riley in the hospital bed are oops because hello Riley's pecs <laughs> they were like <laughs> the character of Angel always accidentally unbuttoned his shirt but Riley always buttons his shirt how are we gonna get him naked harpoon him <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. and then uh, tiny bandana because he's he is holding on to it um well what an episode <laughs> Hey, listen, you know what? Everybody was thrilled with the fact that they didn't like the Ion team, but they loved our podcast episode. So maybe we're just helping it out. You know, we're helping these yes, episodes hopefully. out. I hope. I hope. Let it be so. Jenny, we have one well, thing left to do. One remaining piece of business, uh, and then we'll be done with this episode forever. It's time for... Well, for this episode's Sexual Tension Award nominees, we have, wow, just like four really, really great hot, hot, hot options. Something for everyone, I think. So if you are inclined (laughs) uh, towards women, but three of them, we've got Buffy, Anya, and Willow on the pullout couch in the basement. Uh, Hell yeah. If you like uh, gentlemen... Hunky gentlemen, butterscotchy and gentlemen, gentlemen who look great in a speedo. We've got Xander and Riley. Mm. <laughs> you Sorry. sound very enthused, Chris. No, no, I think I was so enthused. And I was like, should I tell them all later that I'm voting for Xander and Riley? Ooh. Or will they nice. be mad at me because, like, there's so many 
other great well, pairings. Kristen, I don't know. You haven't heard all the pairings yet. There might be something um, more appealing to you even than Xander and Riley. Um, mm. Okay, I'll let you know. Okay, okay. Uh, for our third set of nominees, fan favorites and like people who are actually probably having sex. Kara <laughs> and Willow. <laughs> Did that sound like an audience cheering? <laughs> yeah, that sounded great. Or like a weird ocean. Um, and then our fourth pairing, who for whom I personally will be voting, not to sway anyone. Wow. Uh, and then I think is um, you know, it's edgy, it's hot, it's different, it's like nothing we've seen before. It's Adam and floppy disks. You're welcome. <laughs> oh, hell. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, no, he's clearly they have something really special, Kristen, accept it. They do have something really special, but my vote. Despite all of the others, uh, contenders here, my vote stays with Xander and Riley. I'm really here for it. So you take that and unpack well, it on your own time. But um, I love it. That's what's beautiful about democracy. Your vote is your own. Yes. Uh, and it's just important for you to make your voice heard. Yeah. So you can head on over to our Twitter at BufferingCast and cast your vote uh, for who turns you on the most. <laughs> <laughs> is that or what it you is? ship the most yeah who do you ship the most yeah i mean whatever follow your heart <laughs> it's actually kind of become unclear what is the point of the sexual attention <laughs> <laughs> amusing ourselves i think is the number one point <laughs> oh well jenny somehow that incredibly long us talking to each other about this episode <laughs> Uh, is now complete. Is now complete. I think we did a really good job. I hope we did. Uh, I hope we brought some new ideas and fun to an episode that you may or may not dislike. And hope we gave you all something to think about. Yes. Um, so why don't we tell you who we are, just in case you forgot. Yes. Well, whew, yes, since the beginning of this episode, you've got like a long gray beard and a field <laughs> mouse lives in it. And you can barely remember your own name, let alone ours. Well, I am... Jenny Owen Youngs, and when I'm not watching Buffy and making this podcast, I am usually writing and recording songs. You can learn more about me and hear some of those songs at JennyOwenYoungs.com slash buffering. And you can give me a shout on Twitter at Jenny Owen Youngs. Yes, and I am Kristen Russo. You can find more about me and the work that I do with LGBTQIA communities, as well as for parents, family members, and educators of LGBTQIA young people over at kristinnoline.com. That's K-R-I-S-T-I-N-N-O-E-L-I-N-E. You can use that spelling to also find me on Twitter and on Instagram, where I talk about all sorts of things and also post pictures of cats and kittens and Christmas trees and other things. I was trying to think of what I've posted recently on my Instagram account. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of hot cat content. A lot, of cat, a lot of cat content, yeah. Um, yeah, and of course, if you want to go right to those resources that I talked about, you can go on over to um, mykidisgay.com or everyoneisgay.com and find some stuff. Buffering the Vampire Slayer is on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at BufferingCast. And you could always email us at bufferingthevampireslayer.com 
at gmail.com. Yes, and uh, speaking of emailing us, Jenny, uh, if you are a patron at the $10 or higher level, you get mailbag episodes as a bonus. And this is our last episode, December 19th, uh, until we come back in the new year on January 9th. So that's a little bit of a gap. But if you are a patron of ours, you will be getting a mailbag episode. So you'll get some more of us in your little earballs. Um, you can become a patron of ours by going to bufferingthevampireslayer.com and clicking on Patreon. There's a ton of fun stuff over there, and it also supports us and the work that we do. Uh, other ways that you can support us, of course, you can go on over to iTunes and rate and review us. You can also rate and review Angel on Top, our sister podcast that we go in tandem with. They are in season one of Angel right now. Uh, and you can also go on over to our merch store. It is December 19th, so if you've waited this long, you, I think, might be able to do some express shipping in the U.S. for some gifts. Um, but, you know, maybe you have waited this long because you're not going to see people that you need to give gifts to until the end of the year. Uh, or yeah. maybe even January. But we have tons Or maybe of the most important recipient on your gifting list is you. Ooh. And it's less time sensitive. Ooh, yeah. Maybe you're going to get some sweet cash money for the holidays and you can spend it in our store. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we have tons of really fun smash the demon lizard patriarchy and support your local alewife and girl gang and uh, socks we have socks we have oh hot socks hot socks we have some fun stuff so you can go on oh over there. we've got the new wow 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 hat <gasps> the wow 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 beanie uh from jenny's mouth to your head hmm <laughs> interesting <laughs> Uh, you can find our store at bufferingthevampireslayer.com as well. You just click on shop. Uh, and I think that's most of what I've got. How about you, Jenny? I think that's just about everything. Uh, hope you all have wonderful holidays. Yes, yeah, same. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. And uh, till next year. Uh, uh, woo! Oh, yeah. Last howl of the year. <laughs> there isn't any easy way out of this, you know, and I know. Something got a hold of you, but what is it you don't know? You said so. Yeah.
Are you thinking about getting into Dungeons & Dragons? Maybe you're looking to expand your horizons as a DM or a player. If that's the case, then it's time for you to check out The Dungeon Cast, the best D&D podcast out there that helps you passively learn all about the game just by listening. Join co-hosts Will and Brian as they break down the lore of a rich multiverse 50 years in the making in a lighthearted and beginner-friendly way. They cover everything from character creation options to tips for dungeon masters. There's something for everyone, no matter how long you've been playing TTRPGs. Get inspired while learning all about the unique planes of existence. Get the in-depth knowledge you need to help your combat encounters feel impactful or learn about the origins and pantheons of every race and class the game offers. No stone is left unturned as every edition of the game is explored and explained in a way that benefits players of all different levels of experience. You can expand your TTRPG horizons in a way that's as entertaining as it is educational just by listening. All you have to do is go to your favorite podcast app or YouTube and search for The Dungeon Cast.